Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brining and Jeremy Dunn. They will be taking your calls and speaking with a different guest each week. You are encouraged to call in and share your life experiences with us. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That number again, 347-215-9442. Are you ready for your dose of hope? You're listening to Pause I Am Radio. January 20th edition of Pause I Am Radio. I'm your host, Robert Brining. Jeremy Dunn, my co-host, is flying with me today. How you doing, Jeremy? I'm flying high. Not really. I'm doing great. Yeah? How was your week? Yeah. The week was good. Very, very good. It was very, very busy. Glad to have tomorrow as a day off. So that's all exciting. Because you know it's Martin Luther King Day. That's right. So people will be, you know, enjoying the the time off. Right. So I'm I'm happy about that. But yeah, I'm sure the city of New York is crazy on that day. Oh, you know what? I don't know. I, it, it might be. I don't know. But hold on. Let me let me ask a native New Yorker who happens to be sitting right next to me. Excuse me, native New Yorker. Is Martin Luther King Day a a pretty busy? Uh, day of the year here in in New York City. Does he want some? I mean, when people are uh, taking the day off and, and things like that, uh, Mr. Native New Yorker, um, he doesn't. He he's declined to give his name, uh, so so he's just a Native New Yorker <laughs> at this point. Um, but Native New Yorker, <laughs> tell me, is is the is is do, do people have a festivity? Is there a parade? What what do people do? in New York to celebrate Martin Luther King Day. <laughs> they go run their errands. <laughs> and you heard it here, folks. They, uh, You heard it here. Run, run their errands. Right. New, New York, New York yeah. run their errands. <laughs> you heard it first from Jeremy Dunn on the streets of New York City. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I'm, I'm, I'm reporting live uh, from Bensonhurst, uh, Brooklyn, uh, and uh, you, you never know who else I might uh, be able to... Uh, Spot on the street. So, so thank you, Mr. New Yorker. Thank you for uh, taking the time and uh, chatting with us. We really appreciate it. Oh, I'm walking away now. So, other than that, how how how's your week been? How's the weather been up there? It's been kind of cold here. Uh, the weather's actually been okay. Well, it's been cold. Uh, this weekend was it was close to 60, but uh, we are losing that now. And we're gonna have a Arctic freeze come through the. Um, Come, come in through. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be pretty cold starting tonight and tomorrow. Uh, it's supposed to, we're supposed to have some, a little bit of snow flurry this evening, but nothing to which you like. Cool. So um, moving on, I just want to um, bring up some of our past shows that we had. Last week we had a great guest, Josh Krugel, on who shared his story, and we got into some really good discussion with him, um, which also leads into the one that was before that, which was Jason King from AIDS Healthcare Foundation, where there was a lot of good conversation 
um, on different topics that we don't cover here on a regular basis. So I think um, there are two important shows that you may want to go back and listen to in the archives, either on iTunes or on Block Talk Radio or on your POSIM profile. Um, one of the things I did want to talk about, too, is that uh, coming up next week, we're going to do a show of hot topics. Uh, we're not going to have a guest. It's just going to be me and Jeremy. We're going to be taking your calls, and we're going to be uh, basically covering anything that's going on in the news, HIV-related. If there's something specific you would like us to cover, uh, like depression or disclosure or something uh, along those lines that is HIV-related, you can uh, post them on our Facebook page, tweet it to us at POSIM, or you could email them directly to me at uh, Robert at POSIM.com, and we can take care of all that because I want to cover a whole bunch of different things next week. I want it to be a, a pretty fun show where it's just um, just us, no guests, just kind of taking questions. We haven't done that in a while. You know what I mean, Jeremy? Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, dead air. Yeah, I I was like, what? Do you want to do what next week? No guests? It's just you and me? Oh, hey. Yeah. Yes, me, you, and the, and the New Yorkers on the street. You know what? Maybe maybe we should do that. You go hit Philadelphia on the street. I'll go hit New York on the street next Saturday, Sunday night, and we'll just ask people what they think about things. Could you imagine? That'd be fun. I think it would be awesome. We we get a video like, camera. Exactly, get a video camera, and we and we can you know post all the all the interviews and everything like that. Would be hot. Yeah. So who do we have on tonight? What, what's going on tonight? I mean. I, I, we we have kind of a, a a fun guest, a really kind of cool guest coming on this evening. Yes, um, I found Alexander through Facebook. I see him sitting on the on the line, so we can go ahead and bring him on a little earlier tonight. Um, we'll be taking calls with comments and questions later at three four seven two one five nine four four two. If you actually want to come on air and talk to us, press the one button so we know you're not just listening. Um, and please help me welcome Alexander Smith to the show. Hello, Alexander. How are you? Hello, greetings from the West Coast. <laughs> wow, the left coast, as we call it over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. It's it's it's. There are a few positive things about this coast over here, but I'll come join you next week. I'll bring my video camera. We'll get to the streets of Philly. I'll bring my cashmere and my coat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you could actually wear it here. Cashmere, exactly. Cashmere. And, you, and you'll need it for next week because it's well, going to be – we're we're getting this Arctic cold that's coming in, Arctic front. It's, it's going to be miserable, miserable. Well, come on. Didn't you hear about us, Orange County, Southern California, L.A.? We had cold temperatures last week, like in the high 40s, like record-breaking cold. Like, come on. <laughs> Oh, that's nothing. Are you serious? That's, you know, Tuesday oh, and Wednesday we're supposed to go into the 20s. I, no, I, it, it's going to be in the teens this week. Yeah, it's going to be bad. That, that's, I hear you. That's a heat wave. I hear you. I'm, I'm on the beaches right now, like, running in my short trunk shorts because I've lived in Utah for the past 12 years, and so this is my first winter here in Orange County after many years, and... I'm loving it. Everyone's boo-hooing about how cold it is, and I'm, like, stripping down to my little trunks, running on the sand in the beach. But I definitely get some interesting looks from these Orange County, Huntington Beach conservative people. Sometimes it feels a little more conservative than Utah. <laughs> well, it, you, as, as, you know, someone who grew up in, in Southern California, you are actually in uh, what we call behind the orange curtain. Exactly. I just yeah. found out about that phrase. I wrote about it so well 
what do I do? How do I handle this? No. <laughs> I'm going to do what Martin Luther King Jr. said to do. So to bring it back to Martin Luther King Jr., <laughs> may I? Absolutely, yes. absolutely. So I found a quote, and since we are celebrating and it's the eve, I am serious. I'll come join, join you all in Philadelphia. I have flight benefits and can get around pretty easily. We could go out and with video cameras. But tonight, in honor of sitting on the eve of Martin Luther King Jr.'s big day, one of the quotes that I read of his that's really been uh, important to me, I'm going to share with you, and this is it. He said, as my sufferings mounted, I soon realized that there were two ways in which I could respond to my situation, either to react with bitterness or seek to transform the suffering into a creative force. I decided to follow their course. And that's exactly where I sit, you know, as, as a voice with HIV. It's like I could have been in this bitter place. In fact, I was for a lot of years. But hearing what he had to say and as we celebrate and commemorate tonight. It's like, man, I feel honored that on this night, I'm really grateful to be here to talk to you, too. So thank you for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Yeah. So so let's get down um, to, the, to the beginning of, of, you know, how this all started with you. Um, tell us a little bit about um, what made you get tested. Um, how did you find out, you know, how were you diagnosed? Tell us a little bit about that. Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because we always start with how did you get it, how, what about the test, and it's always so fascinating to me that that's the big question, but it's that catch-22 because it's really important, but it's part of that stigma that keeps everyone stuck. It's like, how did you get it? And are we asking you this? So there's only a couple of ways you get it, really, nowadays. It's either through sex or some type of birth or feeding from your mother. Uh, that's the most common. But for me, it was 2002. Uh, I was living in Salt Lake City, Utah. I had just left the country for the first time. I was in graduate school at the University of Utah studying social work. And I had left the country for three months summer and had a mind-blowing awakening in Eastern Europe where I was doing an internship, and I got to travel to Greece from Bulgaria where I was stationed. I got to fly up to Western Europe to Switzerland where my mother was born and my family is from, and France, and went to Paris and southern France, and while I was there, I was kind of in a critical point in my life and um, kind of walking away from Mormonism and coming to a point where I had two desires in conflict, which basically was I thought I believed in this Mormon tradition in God. I was 29 at the time, and I'm totally attracted to men. And I've totally done 10 years of therapy, and I'm, I'm, I'm gay, and this is who I am. And so it brought me to coming back from Eastern Europe and from this mind-blowing, mind you know, awakening, really, and I decided to leave all of that and to embrace my sexuality with permission and freedom and with a blessing. And I started having sex. I was, prior to that, I was having oral sex and out, out and about escapating and doing my things in the mid and late 90s. But I decided to start having sex. I was 29 and um, I ended up having sex with a partner um, that I met online and I didn't wear a condom um, and I didn't ask him and I literally talked him for a couple minutes and then I'm like what are you doing 
Um, and that was, I'm pretty sure that was my exposure point. And so I went in to get tested in 2003, right around spring break of my last semester of graduate school. And I was just going in for a routine test because I really didn't think I had put myself at risk as a top because I was just being really, really blind. I was thinking, oh, I'm a top. I am much safer here. And it was only for three or four or five minutes. And so I'm okay. And so I was really kind of blown away with the diagnosis when it came back uh, reactive. So uh, what was the time frame between um, the, the time that you thought you were you had exposure to the time that you actually got diagnosed? Um, the time frame was October of 2002 when I met this partner. And I actually, in late November of 2002, had pretty severe flu-like symptoms. But it was winter. I was in Utah. It was cold. Everyone was sick. And I actually had a rash that came up. So I was one of those, you know, about half, they say, that seroconvert and have a reaction. Um, and then they actually thought I had mono. And I wish then, back then, the healthcare professional would have suggested, hey, you know, do you think you may have been exposed to HIV? But they didn't because this was 2002. And, you know, it's Utah. And there's a lot to be done still. And then I went in um, March, late February, no, March, early March of 2003, just for a routine, my first test, actually, and it came back positive. So, so when then the doctor tells you that, what is what is your reaction like? How does that make you feel? Well, well, it wasn't a doctor. It was the Utah AIDS Foundation, and so I went into their test site. And one of my good friends in grad school at Sunset Work School, she was the case manager there, and she had tested me. And it was back when they did, they ran the tests against. Um, they did the oral, the oral test, the swab, and it took two weeks to send against the Western blot and to confirm. So I'm tripping up the test, and I'm going to school with this friend of mine who's a case manager, and she's ditching school because she thinks that I'm positive and it's coming back reactive, and she can't bear to see me. And so she's actually, like, playing hooky, and they call me in, and it was a woman from the health department because in 2002 in Salt Lake City there was this one woman from the health department who's the one who gave you your results. And she's sitting in the room with my friend, and I was just thinking, oh, I must have some STI, like gonorrhea or chlamydia. She's like, do you care if your friend's in here? I said, of course not. We were good friends. And then they proceed to tell me I'm positive. And I, I think I went completely white like a ghost is what she said. Because I was so disconnected from my sexuality after coming out of Mormonism. And I was so kind of just ignorant in a, such a cute way, I suppose, but such a typical way about sex. And I didn't think I'd put myself at risk as a top without a condom. And that's just craziness at this point in the game. And I, I mean, I was scared. I was shocked. I was freaking out. <laughs> and and yeah. you had no other, um, and you had no other experience, no other uh, possible exposures other than that one time? It would have been oral sex when I was traveling in Europe, or it would have been having sex with a condom, and that's highly unlikely, you know? Mm. Yeah, I know, really. So it's like, that's why I kind of have this metaphor. I got my diagnosis on St. Patrick's Day. I'm like, great. Happy fucking St. Patrick's Day. Here's your lucky gift, you know? You get the dark gift. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, my first, like... I come out and I bless my homosexuality and I, like, leave my religion and I make peace after 10 years of therapy of trying to be straight and dealing with 
my family and religion and all these deep Mormon roots, and I go out and within six weeks I choose a partner and I have sex and I get this virus, like what are the chances? I'm like, well, it's not even about chance. It's just, you know, it's that situation. And at this point in the game, it's like, well, here we are. And so I'm, I'm here for the work. I'm here to share my story so that we can start, you know, empowering ourselves and others even bigger and better. So, so, so being, you know, coming from the Mormon faith, and, yeah. uh, and, and how did your parents take it? I mean, what did they say to you? Or well, do they know? Yeah, no, my, everyone knows at this point. I mean, I came out on CNN last in 2011, and, and then prior to that I was coming out all over in my professional world. But my parents, it's interesting, I have a mom and a dad that are both remarried to their new partners. And so at that point, my parents were in those new relationships. I was living in Salt Lake City, Utah. Most All my siblings were in Orange County, behind the orange curtain. Uh, my dad was trailing around somewhere in the United States with his new wife. We were actually here in Orange County. And so I was alone around St. Patrick's Day, and, and it was winter. It was dead cold winter in Salt Lake that year. So speaking of winter, I mean, I didn't know who to turn to. It's like I could not call all these people on the phone and tell them, and I, I wasn't going to tell them because it was like, see, you know, you shouldn't have done what you did. You should have. I mean, there was so much shame I was caring about how infected I was just for being gay, let alone now having an infection like HIV. So I didn't tell anyone in my family until about three months later, my little brother was visiting from Orange County, my youngest brother. There's five siblings in my family, four others, and myself, so five total. And he could tell something was up, was really going on in my demeanor. He, I told him, he's one of my close siblings, and he was pretty shocked. And then about a month later, I came to Orange County with my boyfriend, who was also HIV positive, and we stayed with my dad. And I told my dad and my stepmom, and they both cried. And I was sitting in the living room with my dad and stepmom, and two white doves actually flew down on, and we're in Orange County, like somewhere in Long Beach, you know, like a condo unit, and two white doves flew down on the patio, and we watched them. And my stepmom commented and said, did you, did you see those white doves? As we were sharing, me and my boyfriend, about HIV and AIDS, and, but they cried, and it was really tough for them. And then I told the rest of my family, on the phone about nine months later, the following winter around February, because I lived in Utah and I, I just I was having a really hard time with meds and with stress and stomach issues, and my doctor encouraged me to tell my family. And all the books are like, well, you need to tell your family in in person. You need to. And I'm like, fuck it. Like my stomach is a mess. I'm going to call all my siblings and my mother and my only sister. I'm just going to set an appointment on the phone and tell them all within ten minutes because my family is like brothers and sisters from the from the ABC show that used to be on. Everything passes real quick in our family. And I called them all about a year later and told them all by phone. My mom wasn't too shocked. She seemed like maybe she anticipated her. I don't know. My sister cried. My other, my oldest brother was like, you know, real kind of like the elderly brother, like if there's anything we can do, let me help you. Anyway, it's just really odd how people respond so differently, you know? No, I think it's so interesting. How are the services there in Utah for somebody who's newly diagnosed? 
You know, the services in Utah are pretty awesome. I think it's a pretty, well, I don't know. It's awesome and it's not. I mean, Salt Lake has a real interesting culture. I'm currently in Orange County, but I write a column for the Gay Hotspot at thegayhotspot.com. It's called Cashmere Effects. And I'm into my fifth installment, and it's a way of giving back to Salt Lake and a community that's really important to me. I worked for a lot of years to help build build the climate there, and it's really come along. I mean, Advocate named Utah as, like, the gayest state last year and city, Salt Lake City, in one of their polls. I think HIV-AIDS services, you know, Clinic 1A at the University of Utah Hospitals, they have some renowned doctors there who have done great work. I just don't think you have a big overall population of HIV people with AIDS because it's just a smaller city. But, you know, they're there. It's It seems like I wrote a report around 25 or 2,800 positive people a couple of years ago when I was doing stats and stuff. Um, services there, Clinic 1A is fully, you know, sustainable with case managers and all that. But I think the culture is a really um, interesting split, 50-50, of where we sit in the world. So like half the people have real big issues with homosexuality, with sex, with gay sex, with anal sex, with, you know, men or bisexuality. And, like, that's how you get HIV AIDS at this point. You know, or through you step out of our country and it's through poverty and lack of resources and mothers, breast milk and birth and, you know, rape and, and child, you know, all, all kinds of other things. But within our country, it's, I think it's interesting and Utah reflects that to me. So how do you how do you go about combating that? How do you go about um, changing changing that? Well, Carl, that's an interesting question. And as you ask me, I, it makes me feel a little emotional just because it's sometimes a really challenging feeling for me. Um, sometimes I want to just walk away and be like, you know, I don't want this to be. I don't want to be open about this anymore. I don't want to share all these things. And then I have experiences where I get an email or someone reads a column or they read or hear something I said online or in an interview. Or When I did the CNN interview in June of 2011, I got a lot of exposure in the first couple of days. And when people there contacted me, especially the people who had HIV and AIDS and who for 20 years had never really thought about the concept that I was presenting, which is, Bless your virus. Like, bless your virus is about a mindfulness perspective. It's a mindful approach. It's coming friends with the fear, the disease, the enemy. Who wants to do that? We're not accustomed to that. That's not natural. And so for me, it saved my life when I said hello to the virus that was living inside of me around 2008. For the first time after six years, I was walking around so far away from the virus, I even started using drugs, crystal meth, to cope. And so for me, initially I did it to save my life and to find my life, to find life with the virus. And then when I started sharing it, I started seeing how people felt more courageous to look at the fears in their life. And then I started professionally sharing it where I worked as a counselor and a teacher and educator on Salt Lake Community College campus. And I saw how the students, it was like this reflection. I would share how I was becoming friends with my HIV virus and how I learned to 
honor the fear and how I was afraid that I might die from this and it might kill me. And then the students would sit and listen, and it's like they were blown away because someone was talking so real, and I was sharing how I got it, talking about sex, and I was talking about the fluids, and I was talking about anal sex and oral sex. And then I could really see that it was this interesting metaphor that was much bigger than me. This is a principle about making peace with the enemy. This is about not fighting internally anymore and becoming friends with your biggest fear. And that is a mindful, meditative, Buddhist, Eastern sort of thing, practice that, that can eliminate a lot of suffering. And so at this point now, I just feel grateful that I'm 10 years into this and that I'm sober and that I'm alive and that people around, that I can afford medications, that I have privilege to share this story and this voice, and that I can work and that I can participate. And so for me, it's about giving a voice to so many women and children and men of color in our country and outside of our country who do not have the privilege. And so I will stand and I will keep doing this in between all my other jobs and and efforts because... I'm taking the suffering and I'm turning it into that creative force, like hello Martin Luther King tomorrow, you know? HIV AIDS is huge, and this virus has taught me more about life and death than anything else, so how can I curse it, even though, you know, I have those days for sure where I'm cursing it and I'm trying to date someone and I'm trying to reach out and have sex or I'm trying to feel like I'm not some infected, disposable person, so... No, that, that's very um, interesting. Um, the question I have for you next um, has to do with um, your dating life. Uh, that's one of the questions that we ask a lot of people. How do you deal with disclosing to people? Or, um, you know, do you find that you don't have to have that really conversation anymore because you did it so publicly before? Or how's, you know, how's that going for you? Well, um, how's it going for you guys? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you, for me, my dating life is fantastic. Cool. I really don't have one, so not at the moment. <laughs> cool. <laughs> but it's so um, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, as it should be, you know, I'm kind of sitting and teaching myself about equanimity, which is a principle where you're not fantastic and it's not shitty. It's just right in the middle, like, it's okay, it's equitable, it's equanimity. Uh, It's hard. Um, I am writing about it. So one of the most popular columns that I wrote for the Gay Hotspot, and you can also link all these at my website, blessyourvirus.com. It's a place where it talks about the work I do and then also the column and other services and information to inform and inspire. So check that out. But one of the columns I wrote that got a lot of exposure recently because it got passed around a social media circle thanks to uh, this gentleman named Tyler Curry who's out and about um, doing fantastic work with the Needle Project. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him. You should get him on your show. Um, and he posted my column called Ever Had Sex with a Pause Guy. And so I'm currently exploring that in my future columns as well. And so if you check out that column, it's interesting because I am have it's hard, like, you know, okay, oral sex, for example. It's like, do I tell you as you're about ready to go down on me that I have HIV? 
because you're not going to get it from me because I'm undetectable and I'm not going to come in your mouth. And even if I did come in your mouth, if you would like that, the chances of you getting it from me being undetectable viral load with on meds, it's just not going to happen. But I can't make that call for them. So I've caught myself like not knowing and playing around openly in my call. I'm like, what do I do? This is the type of conversation we need to have. This is what cashmere sex is about. It's about making sex, oral sex, anal sex, vaginal sex, fine in texture, strong and light and soft like cashmere. Like my favorite fiber, I'm a cashmere whore. Cashmere is warm and lovely and luxurious. And so cashmere sex has that metaphor of, okay, you're going down on me. Do I tell you right now or do we wait till we move to anal sex? So I'm exploring, and um, the last column I wrote, I ended up not telling him, and I didn't tell him, and we had oral sex, and he didn't like that when we talked on the phone about a week later, which I understand. He freaked out. What are your, what, what are your thoughts on the HIV criminalization laws? It's crazy. I mean, it's absolutely crazy to me. I was reading about one gentleman back in the Midwest who you know, a straight man of color, interesting, who was having several female partners, and they prosecuted him, a couple of them, after, years later, and he didn't even pass them the virus, and they used condoms. And he still went to prison for two and a half years and still had to register as a sex offender. That is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. That is stigma. That is, like, that is, are you kidding when are we going to learn people like women in our country, people of color in our country, and now we're looking at gay people and lesbian and transgender issues and criminalization laws with HIV AIDS? Like, please, like, we've got to step this up. Like, that's insane. Yeah, I listened to you guys last week, you know, with Josh, and you guys were talking about this. Yeah, if I run around and, you know, I infect people or I'm stabbing you with a needle or, you know, throwing my undetectable viral loads, fluids all over you, like... I mean, we can have a different conversation, but... Like, <laughs> Sorry, that's just very funny. But uh, <laughs> um, I never heard it called that before. That my undetectable viral load fluids. My undetectable viral load fluids. It's a California thing. Like, here in California, we have great phrases. <laughs> that's funny. Um, so, so let me... Yeah, I, I want to get to the disclosure part of it a, a little bit, um, yeah. but uh, just uh, reminding our, our listeners that we are at the bottom of the hour, and uh, we are talking with Mr. Alexander here, and we're talking. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about bless your virus and uh, and uh, cashmere sex. Uh, so, so dis- disclosure, disclosing. So. Do you normally not disclose, or do you? Because because I know you were toying this with your with your column, but you said that you didn't disclose until after you guys had oral sex. Okay, so what I've decided at this point for me, I'm 40 this year, and I've had a lot of sex. I had some good sex in my life, and I'm gonna have some great sex this decade because I'm gonna fall in love and I'm gonna get married. <laughs> but in the meantime. Um, I've decided for me that I want to tell people before I, before I ask, like, oral sex is a toss-up, I've decided. Um, if I'm having oral sex with you and you're not willing and to have your own conversation, because we're both adults here, if you're concerned about HIV, 
then you can ask before we participate. But oral sex to me as an undetectable person, undetectable viral load, it's not going to happen. And if you're not so, smart so enough, so let me or, let me let me let me just kind of throw this out there because we you know because we are talking um, while we're on the subject of disclosure and, and criminalization. There are laws on the books that um, that say uh, something to the effect that even though that there was no transmission, you still were at exposure, and that could land you in prison. Yeah, you're right, and it, you're right. Thanks. I'm guilty. I'm going to jail. You know, I mean, it's. I'm, I'm glad you're bringing this up. Is this Jeremy? I don't know your voices. Yeah, that, yeah, uh, this is Jeremy. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. You know. All right. So here's here's my conflict, and I think it's important that we're talking about this, and that you're talking because I'm willing to talk about it. I'm scared to tell people. So here's my most recent story. I was in Utah. I met this guy online. Such a nice guy. We met at a bar, a community place to have a drink. This was in November. Cute guy in his 40s. A great conversation. I was practicing being more uh, masculine and assertive, and I'm taking daddy lessons from this um, this friend of mine who's there and is married, and he's a daddy. So I'm being all like Alexander and like picking up, taking it up a notch in my you know pre 40s. And we made out. We went. We had five hours of like drinks and conversation. We're in the car and we're making out, and then we started to go down on each other. And I didn't say anything because I was so scared. I didn't exchange any fluids. There was no ejaculation on either one of our parts. Um, so there, there was only pre-cum, which would be the fluid. But you're right, Jeremy. Like, I could be at risk, and it does scare me. And so I want to tell them before I even go to oral sex. And sometimes in those moments, I don't want to be rejected one more time because I have this. And I don't want to lose the opportunity to be with this beautiful man and have this sexual connection, and that's my humanness, honestly. Now, here, here's a question for you. Here's a question for you, Alexander. Um, are you familiar with, or do you use um, Grinder or Scruff or any of those kind of apps on your phone? Totally. I don't use Grinder, but I do use Scruff. Okay. So, how do you put your, um, you know, HIV status there in your profile? I mean, that's something that. A lot of people have been talking about where some people maybe put a positive sign or maybe actually put the they are positive in their profile and how, you know, <clears throat> discriminatory it is that people have, you know, that they're looking for drug and disease free and just that's kind of like a big hot topic, especially with the stigma project and things along that. Um, what are your feelings on, on people putting their status there? Well, my feelings are that you know, it's probably a really great idea for us who are positive to find the courage and the ability and the wherewithal to offer that information. And, you know, I'm I'm committed to making that commitment right here and right now. You know, I don't even know if I've put my status. If people ask me, I'll tell them on Scruff. I don't even know. I have a feeling that it's not on there, that it's like ask me or something. So... Um, so you would rather have someone ask you, and if they don't, so it's, and I'm not passing, and please, I just, want, I just want our listeners to understand, and I want, I want Alexander to understand. 
I, I'm asking these questions from a um, just from a strictly an interview perspective, and, yeah. and I'm not passing judgment on anybody, and I and I'm not, and I'm trying to be as objective as possible. Right. Um, so, so, from what I'm hearing you say is that if you don't ask, I don't tell. Uh, well, you're hearing part of that, but the other part, there are times that I do tell it, and but I'm, yeah, for me, it's, I'm attempting to really find the ability within my own issues to have the courage to tell. We're talking oral sex, though. When it comes to anal right. sex at this point in the game, I talk about it, even with right. or without a condom, because I do not want to touch anal sex without that conversation, period. But we're talking about oral sex here. And so I totally well, get. I'm judging so, myself. So, I totally appreciate so, the question. So, so if if okay. So let, let's let's stay on. I just want to stay on this top this, this subject for another about thirty forty five seconds. Okay. If if that's the rationale, and um, you know, how do you how does one differentiate? Even though that uh, the CDC even says that oral sex is a risk. Now, it's risky when you're not on medication and your viral load is is uh, is undetectable. So, tell me what what if God forbid, you know, somebody decides to say, hey, you know, this this person is, um, you know, not not letting, you know, not telling people before we, you know, have oral sex. How do you think? That rationale would hold up if 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 push came to shove. If push came to shove, like in the court of law, or is that yeah. what you're talking about? Or, yeah. Well, it depends on the state because there's different statutes in each state, and I'm not familiar right. with all the differences. But I probably it probably wouldn't hold up well in some of our states for sure. I mean, I totally could be. I mean, it's crossed my mind for sure when I was reading some of the things that happened to some of. I was studying some criminalization things a few months ago. I'm like, holy crap, holy shit is what I said. I could totally have someone come out of the woodwork and say, hey, you didn't tell me. Right. Well, and I, think, then, you know, I, comes, I think what it all comes down to is that at the end of the day, we're all human beings and we all fall into uh, weaknesses. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's a little bit easier or a little bit harder to admit who we are or, or what we're dealing with when it comes to that. And, and disclosure is always a, a touchy subject. I just want to move on because we do have a caller. So I want to go ahead and bring this uh, caller on the air. Uh, you're on the air with us. Who's this? Hello, caller. You're on the air. Yes, this is Dwayne. Hi, Dwayne. How are you? All right. It, it, you were talking about disclosure? Yeah. You know, uh, after being in a relationship for 24 years, it's a little hard to deal with being, you know, upfront. Exp- telling, tell, I tell anybody, it doesn't bother me anymore. But my uh, my ex is negative, so it mm-hmm. makes it hard to go out on a date because you have to more or less exp- explain to them, you know. And some people are cool with it, some people aren't. So it's like and the criminalization thing bothers me. And where are you calling from? Lafayette, Louisiana. Louisiana. Hi, Dwayne. How's it going, Dwayne, in Lafayette, Louisiana? 
Hello. <laughs> it's a little cold. <laughs> Come not to Orange County. <laughs> not as cold as uh, other places, but uh, for us, it's cold. Well, I'm happy cool. you're in a relationship and that you're with someone who's negative. That's very awesome to hear. I love those stories. Well, actually, we're I say we're separated, but no, we're it's still living together, and he still thinks we're a couple, and I don't know, and it, it's a whole lot of bold. It's like, it, so it's like I try to work it out, but we have a adjutant in the situation, so. Cool. Well, Dwayne, thanks for calling into the show tonight. Mm-hmm. So one of the things Dwayne said is it's hard to do this. And so can I just say one last thing on this topic since we're still in it? Yeah. I'm committed. I'm committed right now to move forward pre-oral sex. And I'm throwing it out to the world and to all the listeners because that's what I would love to do is to have the courage in all those intimate moments where I'm afraid of being rejected pre-oral sex. But I'm willing to do it if all of the people who don't have the virus are also willing to talk about this and to take some responsibility too because I feel like so often we go to these far extremes where it's one or the other, it's positive or negative, it's black or white. You know, blush for virus is so much about leaning into things that are uncomfortable. So I am so willing to be more committed if a lot of people in our community, especially within our country, men who have sex with men, bisexual men, that, well, men who have sex with men, gay and bisexual or straight, that we will, the negative people will take some responsibility in their experience as well. And we learn to bridge this together because we're in this together. You know, so often people are getting the virus when a person is in that window period and doesn't know. And so it's like, I got the virus from someone else. He didn't tell me. I didn't ask. So let's do this together. Let's stop this like one or the other because it has to start with us. You know, if we're going to change these laws, it has to start with like these types of conversations we're having tonight. I love it. Um, here's a question, Alexander. Uh, what, do you have a Twitter handle? Do I? Yeah, it's Bless Your Virus. Bless Your Virus? Okay. Just so people can follow you um, there on Twitter, and I'm just posting something up, so I just want to make sure that I add it to the right person. Oh, there you are. Yeah, okay, yeah, I Bless Your Virus is my Twitter, and then Alexander Smith is my Facebook, and then Bless Your Virus has all my resources to contact all my social media. I've got a YouTube channel with videos, and everything's kind of, yeah. So here we are. Disclosure. <laughs> So um, tell me, how have you dealt with um, finding support? Because you said, how long ago have you moved? Um, how long oh, I moved last spring to Orange County from Salt Lake City. Okay, so, you're, so you moved, um, say, a, a little less than a year. How is that, and how are you doing with finding support in a new area? You know, it's a powerful year for me. Um, it's been really challenging as well. Um, I have let go of a lot of things in my life, and I think that what I've done at this point has really brought me into my decade now. I'm coming up on 10 years this St. Patrick's Day. It'll be my first decade with the virus. And so my support right now, um, I've got family down here. Most of them are pretty LDS Mormon. And we are really learning to relate and love each other in beautiful ways. And I think that's really awesome because 
you know, it's a reflection on the bigger picture in our country about people in many religions and places who have different beliefs about all kinds of things. And so I have support with my family. I have a dear sister who's a fantastic support to me. I have a lot of friends, dear friends, uh, that I Skype, FaceTime with. I've got a new doctor down here who's actually HIV positive and has been for about 20 years, and he's a really cool support. And I think the biggest thing is I'm learning to sustain and support myself. This year I finally realized if I'm going to ask other people to stop stigmatizing this, this and me, this conversation, I need to really understand how I'm stigmatizing myself. And so I've really, this last year in the move, really kind of challenged and forgiven myself for a lot of the things and the stories that I'm telling myself about carrying this virus and kind of setting them down and um, learning to cultivate a relationship uh, with myself and to see my sexual beauty and spiritual beauty and to kind of integrate those. Um, That's kind of the support that I have. I'm a huge fan of working out and meditation, and I have lots of hobbies. I I get to do great work with a, as a therapist and a coach. So all those things bring me support. That's awesome. I'm, I'm going to uh, take a quick break. We're going to uh, put out the phone number again for people to call in. We have about 15 minutes left, 347-215-9442, and we'll be back in a few seconds. I contracted a preventable disease from a guy that looks good and smells good but never mentioned that he had HIV. But he is not to blame. I should have loved myself enough to protect myself. But through it all, I found self-love, and it's the greatest thing I ever felt. I was never less than or equal to age, but always greater. I just realized that not caring for myself or my body, I was my biggest hater. I am author of the Naked Truth, Marvin Brown, and I am greater than age. So, welcome back, everybody. We're on with Alexander Smith, and uh, I, I want to move us a little bit, um, a little bit more forward, and, and start talking. In the in the last 15 minutes here, I'd like to cover a couple of other, uh, a couple of other things. Um, I, I want to talk about. Um, let, let's talk about bless your virus a little bit deeper, because we, we've thrown the website out there. What is, what is bless your bless your virus? What and, and how did it come to? Cool. So kind of kind of feel Bless Your Virus as my personal world and my professional world collided. So in around around 2007 and 8, I was deep in therapy and coaching. I was working on a college campus doing a lot of therapy. And I was working around other people's fear and pain and stuff as a therapist. And I was trying to make sense of my own, my own fear. And a lot of it was related to the virus. And I had a friend um, who was out eat, praying, and loving, um, and she called me from India, and and it was in the middle of me kind of coming to my center and really starting to integrate yoga and meditation and mindfulness into my life. And I was getting off of drugs, and and I had about a a two-and-a-half-year stint with crystal meth, and I took it to the full level, like I'm going to inject drugs here, and I'm going to feel beautiful and uninfected. And so at this point, I was coming out of that. I was integrating ways to connect with my own source. And Bless the Virus came about when my girlfriend from India called and she said, have you ever said hello to this virus that's living inside of you? 
And instantly I could feel the flow and the information that supported what I was studying professionally, what I was working with professionally, which is how does one become friends with their depression? How does one become friends with anxiety or trauma? You know, that's such a therapeutic principle. And then an Eastern Buddhist principle is how do we take that into becoming mindful and watching the fear and pain. So I knew that was my task. So I went to the gym one morning soon after that, and I got on the treadmill, and I was, like, going with the intention of saying hello to my virus. Um, I'm, like, turning my attention inward. I'm on the treadmill. I've got a playlist. It's 6 in the morning. And I'm, like, I'm speechless, and I don't have a problem with finding words usually or finding my voice, and I, I, I didn't know what to say to this fucking virus, to this terrifying thing that I've been running from. And so the first word that came out was, And it made me laugh because this is how me and my friends greet each other in a little British accent, hello. And that's the first word that came out as I leaned into becoming friends with the virus living inside of me. And then it started a conversation that was different. And so bless your virus with me coming out publicly to say, look, I've become friends and made peace with my virus, and I want to share others, share with others, something that's changed my life, that's gotten me off of Christian math, It's helped me find support and love and friendship, being open about it, talking about it. And so I came on CNN in June of 2011, commemorating 30 years, right when Timothy Brown came out with his identity as being the man cured. And I was taking an opportunity that showed up to share my story, and then I launched BlessYourVirus.com. And at this point... You know, bless your virus, it's a mindful approach and an attitude. And uh, my work now is to continue a conversation, whether I'm out keynoting and speaking on college campuses or on World AIDS Day or writing a column for Cashmere Sachs. I want to pass and spread information about compassion, you know, and courage and connection and sharing and disclosing. <laughs> Just closing. <laughs> so the, the the name of the website came to uh, came from basically a connection that you had with your virus or a conversation. Yeah, yeah. After well, I said hello, no, I hello to it. Well, go ahead. I said it's kind of catchy. The the name of it, it it's 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 different and definitely like catches your eye when you read it. Oh, thank you. A lot of people have been asking me about it, so. So, so yeah, so, I mean, that's the idea is it's like, why, you know, why would I want to bless HIV? Like, when I, when I started talking to it at the gym, I'm like, hello, and that was the first thing I said. So then about a week later, I'm like, okay, let's take this to the bath. And the reason being is I was, I was, I'm a huge fan of taking a bath and taking the time to kind of soak. And so about a week later, I'm having my second conversation in the bathtub, and so then the metaphor and the phrase bathing with your ba- bathing with a retrovirus came to mind. And um, this is the writer in me, the words. And so I'm like bathing and I'm like looking down at my body and I'm naked in the bathtub and I, I'm not saying hello this time. I'm like pissed and I'm like freaking out. And for the first time I think in the five years that I was working with this virus, that day in the bathtub, I was actually looking at my body and saying, oh, gosh, I'm terrified. Like, HIV-AIDS scares me. Like, 
I'm scared to look at my body sometimes and I haven't been paying attention because I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to kill me. Sometimes I don't know where I'm going to get my meds from if I'm not working. And then I just started to cry really deep and big and open and flowing. And then I started taking baths and having this little time where I would sit and talk to Rhett. I nicknamed him Rhett, short for retrovirus. And then he transformed from a man kind of into a female energy. And now, I don't know, follow my website and you'll see where it goes this decade. <laughs> there you go. And the website is Bless This Virus. Uh, the question, last question we have that we, we try to ask all our guests is, if somebody who was newly diagnosed came up to you and, and asked you for some advice to get, um, you know, past the diagnosis, what would you offer to them? I would say first, welcome to the club. What's your address? I'm going to send you a toaster. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I would say welcome to your life. Like, here you go. Like, you know what? We all have something that terrifies us, and that's the thing that's really stood out to me at this point is regardless of it's HIV or cancer or Parkinson's or diabetes, you know, whether it's debilitating depression or anxiety, social anxiety, you know, whether it's confusion on your sexuality or your religion, that fear and story and energy and emotion is the same. And so if I had someone come to me, which I often do, I'd say, welcome. I know it's hard and I'm not asking you to love this, but I am asking you to consider blessing it and consider saying hello because my greatest teacher, one of them, has been HIV. So... Wow. Bless your virus. Bless your little virus. Bless your little virus. <laughs> no, I, I, it's, it's, it's good advice. And, um, you know, Alexander, thank you so much for, for hanging out with us for the hour and sharing your story. And we'll send people to you on Twitter and on Facebook and all that good stuff. Uh, before we go, thank you, you two. Like, we're in this together, and I have so much admiration and um, praise for the two of you. I've been following you two and peeking in. So thank you for creating this space. It's been a pleasure to be here, and I'll come back anytime you want. It's definitely you our pleasure it. to have you. Thank you. Have hey. a good night. Bye, East Coast, left coast. Hoo-doo. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find more information on our guest, Alexander Smith, by going to uh, www.blessyourvirus.com. Follow him on Twitter at Bless Your Virus. So, all right, we are back. So with Martin Luther King Jr. Day coming up tomorrow, I thought we could um, uh, read some quotes, at least well, my favorite quote. Um, I remember seeing this when I was going through the uh, testing and counseling classes and courses and stuff, and this quote was on the wall, and I remember tweeting it, and I just put it out there on Facebook again, and it's actually one of my, my favorite quotes um, by Martin Luther King, and it's, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. So, I think that's an awesome quote for people to, to really live by. I think it's it's, it's awesome. So you know, that's it, my favorite quote. I, I you know and and it's true. You know what is the measure of a man? What you know it's measured in his action. Uh, and uh, you know and, and since we're going to do that, I'm going to give you the quote that I really like from him: "Is darkness cannot drive out darkness; only light can." Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And I, I think what's interesting is that both of these quotes 
have a lot of um, meaning and and uh, and weight on the uh, on on both the LGBT community as well as the HIV community. I I, I agree, and and I think it's 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 important reminder to keep these. I, I'm a quote person. I I always post quotes on Facebook or little you know images that I find on there that are inspirational and. Finding things like this, um, his quotes are amazing. There's so many good ones, and um, I just, you know, just wanted to remember him in a way, you know, that we haven't in the past. So with his day coming up tomorrow, I wanted to read some quotes that you know have really inspired me. Um, so next week uh, we will be doing an hour of hot topics. Me and Jeremy alone will be on the streets taking your questions <laughs> and comments all night. Um, here at the show, uh, we'll be discussing a whole bunch of different things. Some things have been hitting the news uh, recently. I saw out of Australia, there's um, scientists who are saying that they're going to use HIV to fight HIV to cure AIDS. Um, some some news coming out. I don't know. We'll, we'll cover it next week. Uh, we'll be talking about disclosure and and dating and starting meds and you know what it's like to be newly diagnosed. Um, you know, in 2013 because it's it's a different you know it's a different time now. When you're diagnosed today. You have a long, healthy life ahead of you as long as you take your medications. So I think things like that are um, what are some important topics that we should be discussing. What topics would you like to discuss, Jeremy? Um, I, you know, I'm really kind of interested in the uh, in, in the criminalization stuff. I'm interested in disclosure for sure, um, and you know, overall protections for 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 everybody. You know, not just. Uh, not just you know keeping negative people negative, but also you know protections for the positive folks out there. You know, you know disclosure is one of those things. Um, rejection yeah. is you know is definitely something that we could probably want to talk about um, in in the combination of those things. So I mean it, it's and also you know it's HIV in the rural areas. I uh, we had somebody from you know we had Dwayne from Lafayette. Um, Louisiana. Lafayette, Louisiana is not necessarily a a beckoning urban metropolis. It's not. It's not New York. It's not Philadelphia. It's not Los Angeles. It's not Chicago. It's very different. Right. You know. So you know, there's in the different in the different er, in the different parts of this country, HIV and AIDS has a very different feel. When you go mm. into the southeast. It's 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 terrible. I mean, it, it's it's on you know just in in Kings County, which is Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, where I just moved from. The infection rate in Kings County is on par with that of the entire city of Chicago. That's that's huge when you put it into that kind of perspective. And there's not as many people. There's not the populace in Kings County, North Carolina, that you have in Chicago. So when you look at, you know, the the issue of the populace, right, you have more people in Chicago, and yet you have less people over here in, in, in Kings County, North Carolina, and they have... And they're having the same infection rate as a city that has twice as many people. That's a problem. 
Yes, it is, and we'll be discussing all of these topics next week on the Prozion Radio Show. We um, are down to the last minute, so I want to thank our guest, Alexander Smith, from BlessYourVirus.com, for coming on the show. Uh, for more information on Jeremy Dunn, you can go to PositivelySpeaking.com. For more information on myself, the radio show, or to make a donation to keep the show running, uh, you can go to PauseIM.com. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. And, again, next week we'll be doing an hour of hot topics. You can tweet us here your topics that you want us to discuss at PauseIM on Twitter, or you can post them on our Facebook fan page. Hope you have a great night. Jeremy, I'll speak to you next week. Have a great night. Have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. What's going on out here? We got changes to make. It's time to wake up for humanity's sake. Break the silence today before it's too late. AIDS is affecting us, disrespecting us. I'ma go get tested. It's a simple maneuver. It's not about the past. It's about my future. I'm not trying to miss it. I won't be a statistic, so I protect myself whenever I'm intimate. At this moment, I decided to have a plan. It's time to take a stand, because AIDS I'm greater than. This is Senior Chaos, and this was my deciding moment. Tell us yours at greaterthan.org. And you can join the Pause I Am community by going to www.pauseiam.com.